Welcome to Digital Health Unfiltered. I'm Sudipto Srivastava. And I am Nick Jeans. In this podcast, we share our insights from the cutting edge of health IT. Hello and welcome. This is Nick Jeans, and we are so excited to be able to share Karidi Pisapati with our audience today. Karidi is like our own version of 1010 Wins here in New York. You know, they say, give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. Well, Karidi is going to give us the digital health world in it, at most 22 minutes, maybe even less. And we are fortunate to be able to pick his brain about uh, trends he's spotting, talk about what it all might mean. Karidi? Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here. I guess a quick intro of myself. I'm currently on the business development team at Mount Sinai Innovation Partners at Mount Sinai Health System. Mostly work on various innovation efforts in digital health, data partnerships, and AI. I also dabble in the device and diagnostic space. So a lot of that stuff I do is both from commercializing Mount Sinai inventions and partnering with external parties that seek to validate and develop their technologies with Mount Sinai and uh, the rest of our investigators and our experts here. Well, thank you. Glad to have you. And uh, you know, I speak for Stipto that uh, we've been dying to get you on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you're a go-to person for all tech news, man. So glad, glad that we can have you here. Hopefully I live up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> well, first up, we wanted to pick your brain about American Well. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we heard uh, they are acquiring Conversa Health. Actually, uh, even more than one uh, acquisition. But uh, sort of reminded me of uh, Teladoc's moves a year ago and maybe even a validation of uh, the Teladoc approach uh, lately. What do, you, what do you think of, uh, of that news? Yeah, I think it's an extremely interesting move for Amwell and they've needed to compete with what's going on with Livongo and Teladoc, Teladoc. And there were two acquisitions in this. There was Conversa and Silver Cloud Health. So Silver Cloud is an on-demand mental health platform that allows for patients to continue mental well-being care in between physician visits. And they also provide coaching, self-guided programming. Um, so patients can do this on demand whenever they need it. And the mental health, digital health space is growing so rapidly. So much funding going in there. Um, digital health alone had a huge amount of funding, but the space is rapidly growing. Um, and then Conversa was another interesting ad, uh, adding in a triage platform and their virtual care platform, which is based on conversational AI. This allows for asynchronous communication between patients and their providers who put in that type of workflow into the conversion platform, which Annette, conversational AI is another growing space where we're starting to see patients really looking for information on demand and at their fingertips when they need it. And maybe this is probably better for patients rather than Dr. Google and Dr. Bing. So I thought that were good moves. Yeah. You know, when I sort of, um, read some of the, the news articles around that, you know, especially uh, one that Forbes had done, I kind of spotted, you know, a, a great amount of truth in there and a little bit of like, you know, non-truths or lies, um, as you may call it. So I think, I think the, the, the truth is that Amble described it uh, as an omnipresence, you know, which I kind of translated to mean that, you know, we talk about it on this podcast that the patient journey is really a spectrum and you need a range of clinical services as opposed to just like point solutions for some immediate clinical needs that, that you have. So I think th this is this is definitely right. You know, you can't have point solutions in having an omnipresence or a whole spectrum of services with mental health, of course, being part of it, 
perfectly make sense. I think some of the twisted words there were like, they almost like had a statement in there where that said that they're not doing this to disintermediate the hospitals. So I think that in the short term, like they will have to poach business away from the hospitals for their success. And so in the long term, they might end up creating a parallel universe of services. So in the heart of hearts, you know, these, these companies don't really think of health systems as partners. Um, I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but, you know, you know, but, but they have to use these words so that they don't spook the, uh, the hosp- their, their ambitions um, or they don't clarify their ambitions too soon so that to sort of spook the hospitals. They want to end up sort of sh- propping up their share price. This is what I think Amwell is trying to do. Uh, you know, they do want to disintermediate healthcare and perhaps, you know, go after um, different target segments that, you know, sometimes get, um, you know, uh, missed out by by traditional hospitals who end up focusing on Medicaid and Medicare patients, my view. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, um, to hear both of you speak, like, it, it seems like this is a nice validation of, of uh, the Teladoc approach and Amwell is sort of following in, in those footsteps, really. They, they both, Teladoc and American Well, started out as on-demand synchronous care, just two-way, uh, you have a sore throat, you need to talk to a doctor, that's, that's your ticket. Um, but they are both evolving into kind of more full-service uh, offerings, big emphasis on primary care, uh, scheduled visits, and uh, yeah, and, and, and kudos uh, for, for diving into mental health, which is uh, a real need. And as we talked about with uh, Elise Cole Grant, like it is uh, very much an underserved population. And the hospitals, I feel like they are not going to be losing sleep about this in the short term. They've got their procedures. They've got their... Uh, capabilities, uh, the surgeries and so forth. So they are, I think, uh, uh, going to rest easy for now, but uh, someday they may wake up and, and wish that they had done more of a, a partnership with, with Amwell and Teladoc. Yeah, and I think this these similar types of offerings are happening elsewhere besides those two as well. We saw Babylon has been creating a lot of buzz. They're out of the UK and they're going public uh, later this year via a SPAC deal. So conversational AI and uh, asynchronous offerings for patients to uh, reach their physician or providers is a growing, growing need and growing space. Yeah, well said. Uh, good opportunity there. And I, I do think, uh, yeah, these kinds of uh, chatbots are, uh, you know, patients are sort of used to them. And we, we've seen nice kind of hybrid models where the chatbot begins to collect some data for the patient uh, and then hands it over to a, a real provider uh, who can, who can uh, you know, review the conversation and ask uh, human questions. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that kind of model could scale a lot better. Pivoting a little bit to our next topic, I wanted to ask your thoughts about Teladoc and Microsoft Teams. When I saw this, I wanted to say, I get it, it's brilliant, but as a user of both Teams and Teladoc, <laughs> I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. So please help me understand, help me uh, talk, talk me through this. It's, it's one of those things where we'll see what happens, I think, but this isn't the first time we've seen Teams integrated into the healthcare workflow. NHS in England has been using Teams for care coordination and telehealth, and then we're also seeing transcription coming into the mind of Microsoft. Microsoft recently bought Nuance for a hefty price tag, $16 billion. They've, so, they've showed a huge interest in conversational AI and ambient clinical documentation. 
So potentially you could see integrating a virtual assistant as part of the telehealth offering and improve, help improve that patient physician encounter in a telehealth encounter, um, telehealth visit and the documentation that goes along with it as well. And soon we're going to see, um, as uh, we saw in one of the latest Microsoft conferences, Windows 11, Teams is going to have direct integration into Windows 11. So maybe this means less hoops to jump through. I know people get very upset that you have to sign into Teams multiple different times, but this could be less hoops for patients to just see their provider. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, when I think about uh, nuance, I think immediately of dictation and improved billing and a lot of studies uh, to support that. And it is a big satisfier uh, in healthcare uh, when, when you have a nice dictation system. And I, I have been impressed with these services that, you know, they really uh, much higher fidelity than Siri. <laughs> At least that's the one I'm, I'm more familiar with. They've got a great vocabulary and so on. So do you think we're going to see uh, Cortana uh, step into this and the reintroduction of Cortana? <laughs> I think that's an interesting question. So the, the new goal of Cortana is TB determined. Um, the original Cortana as the competitor to Siri and Alexa is kind of over. Uh, we'll probably just see Cortana reincarnated in another Halo video game. Uh, <laughs> Cortana can't die. <laughs> but yeah, they, I mean, Microsoft pivoted away from smart speakers. They've completely de-emphasized Cortana in new Windows 11, but they've now said that Cortana will be a part of Office 365 and enterprise solutions. So that could be where it fits in. Um, and Cortana could be that virtual assistant that assists physicians during that encounter, pulls up records, pulls up images, or is taking notes for the physician. So maybe. And, you know, this reminds me of uh, a company I, I used to follow closely, uh, say Cara, which, um, you know, promised to be like a more than a dictation service. They would listen in on the doctor-patient conversation, the exam, and it would it would not just transcribe it, but it would actually, you know, compose a chart. And Sekera was smart enough to recognize, you know, this part of the conversation is the review of systems, and that part is the physical exam. And now the doctor is explaining their decision making, and and they could like lay it all out into a nice chart uh, suitable for billing. And, you know, providers loved it. It was still, you know, very much uh, in development and in testing. But I'm thinking, like, if you bring in some of Azure's power, Microsoft Azure, plus Nuance into Teams, then maybe you could start to approximate uh, what Sekera could do. Yeah, well, so glad you brought that up. Well, Sekera was acquired by Nuance just a couple of months right before uh, a Microsoft oh. acquired Acquire oh, so by transitive property, Microsoft now owns Sekera. <laughs> so it's in there. And ambient clinical documentation has been at the forefront of Microsoft's mind for quite some time, well before their acquisition of Nuance. They were partnering with other health systems, developing something called Empower MB. So this whole idea of reducing the documentation burden has been at the forefront of Microsoft's mind. And this acquisition completely falls right in line. And I think potential integrations will be an improvement, or I hope so. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. I had missed that news that now Microsoft owns the Sekera team. I clearly need to spend more time on Twitter. Just follow me. <laughs> you got to just follow me. That was my prediction years ago. 
I know. I, I remember that. Uh, you know, and I guess you feel vindicated, uh, Kariti, that uh, that this sort of came about. Uh, we'd love to maybe get uh, more of your predictions so we can put our uh, money in those sort of spots. Um, but that's uh, that's fascinating. You know, I really like what Microsoft is sort of doing here. You know, the approach they're taking seems to be more of a real partner and not a disruptor. So earlier in this podcast, we were talking about, you know, what some of the other companies are doing in terms of trying to be a true disruptor. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, um, you know, if you look at the Walmarts and the Teladocs and the Amwells, they're saying, you know, we'll create a separate ecosystem. It's, you will use technology, we'll use this omnipresence and so on. Very different than what the services are. And they're going to transform healthcare that way. You know, Microsoft seems to be betting on the incumbents. They seem to be betting on providing tools to the traditional healthcare systems. I mean, they they're actually also doing a really good job partnering with Epic. I mean, I mean, I in preparing for this discussion, you know, I look back and even back in like 2005, there were articles about Microsoft and Epic. And I think in 2022, they had other sort of integrations. Nuance comes to the table with very, very good relationships with Epic, and they've been using Epic in, in the past. So, um, so it's really an, a bet on incumbents they're making that on the that on disruptors. I mean, we can talk about Salesforce, another company that tried to enter this thing, but was pushed back by a lot of these big EMRs because they were seen as a threat. So Microsoft seems to be saying that um, to health systems that, hey, and EMRs, like, you do what you want to do. We will provide the platform to allow you to do that. And I think, in a way, if you think back, this is similar to what is really core to Microsoft, which is the operating system and their products like Word and Excel. I mean, they don't make money on great presentations you produce in PowerPoint, but on the license fees um, of the Office suite. So um, I, I would love to watch Microsoft a longer time um, in terms of how they slowly enter um, the healthcare space in a very sort of different way. Uh, it's so interesting to think about it uh, in that perspective. Like uh, that brings us to our our last perspective, our last point, our last discussion topic. And really, I think Sadipta, you framed it well when you're talking about disruptors versus the established players. Uh, let's talk about Zeus. Am I saying it right? Is it Zeus or Zeus? Zeus. 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 You are saying that right, Nick. Um, but it's not. It's not spelled like the Greek god. It's, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's funny when I was researching uh, the company and looking it up. It was part of the inspiration, and you can see in their logo they have a little lightning bolt, a part of it. Um, yeah, so okay. big buzz came out this, uh, like, I think, like a week or two ago, when or a couple weeks ago when Jonathan Bush uh, announced Zeus. And so, kind of a bit of background: Jonathan Bush, co-founder and former CEO of Athena Health. So that was did pretty well, right? <laughs> and it came out of the gate with a 34 $34 million dollar raise. There's some key VCs in there, uh, Rock Health involved, A16Z. And the whole idea is to create a platform that is to disrupt the medical record flow. Shared healthcare data vision is to connect medical providers to health data so it's frictionless to use. Whole thing's really interesting. We're seeing like a tech stack, right? They want to make it easier to uh, move data across all of these different solutions. Will we see more uh, digital tools that are patient-facing and patient-centric? Like the idea could be we're going to start seeing apps on our phone, right? Your medical record is now just on your app because 
so many different specialties require different modalities of data. Why don't we just have it on your phone and you just push it to your physician? Maybe that's where we're going to see this go. Um, we saw Apple say that they're going to do the same thing, right? You have all their all your patient data on your phone, on your Apple iPhone, and you're supposed to be able to push this out to any EHR. We've seen other startups in the space, uh, Seekster, for example, that seeks to harmonize health data and make it easier to transition care, especially in the area of clinical trials where we're always tra transferring data. This is interesting, right? It's yeah. it's healthcare data and interoperability. Interoperability has been the big buzzword for years, right? And mm -hmm. will this kind of change that? We already see a few builders already signed up for Zeus. CityBlock, Firefly Health, Dorsada, and Oak Street Health are going to build on this platform and have data flowing. Well, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, still unknown, yeah. right? Yeah, no, but thanks for clarifying that because I think I misread or misinterpreted some of the headlines and PR press releases that came out. It was like I, I sort of imagined that uh, Zeus was positioning itself to be a competitor to Epic and Cerner and, and EHRs. But you're saying it's more like a, just a tool set uh, for, for maybe non-hospitals, non-traditional uh, care places to facilitate the exchange of, of medical information. Yeah, and I, so. I think that makes sense. And I think they're also working on a data platform too. So okay. making that data easily accessible between builders on their platform. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this because uh, every time I bring up the 21st Century Cures Act, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the listeners have made themselves clear and people start to tune out in droves. So, but I, I'll just say that the, the policy headwinds are, or the policy is, is uh, uh, favoring this kind of um, play and that uh, it should become a lot easier late next year uh, with uh, the API mandate from 21st Century Cures Act. So suddenly I think patients will have a lot easier time exchanging their data uh, in apps. Um, you know, so signing up for one of these non-traditional vendors of, of healthcare, whether it's like Roe or Oak Street or, or whoever, and uh, signing up, sharing their past medical history, their medication list should be much more effortless next year. So they'll be well positioned, I think, to take advantage of Zeus. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I started uh, looking into Zeus and what they were announcing, our friend uh, Jessica Damasa also uh, interviewed Jonathan Bush recently on her WTF sort of, you know, podcast. You know, it really, I mean, mentally, it's a weird um, association, but it reminded me of that line from Iron Man 2 when Ivan Vanko, you know, he like crashes Iron Man's car for a purpose. And basically he says, like, you know, if you can make God bleed, people would cease to believe in him, right? In, in this, to me, I don't know whether it's going to work or not, but this is a like full-faced attack to the incumbents, the EHR vendors, and so on. So, and this is a sentiment that has been brewing in the industry for a long time. And, and I think this is, this is probably an inflection point in the, in the industry. Here and, now, so, and so Tony Stark is Judy Faulkner in this. Well, yes, completing the analogy. Just <laughs> thank, thank you. You know, and when, since we're talking about people, I think um, uh, many of our audience uh, members may know this, but you know, Jonathan Bush. In case you sort of saw, saw the last name Bush, uh, you know, he is related to the the Bush family. I think uh, the the late George H. W. Bush is uh, is his uncle. So you know, 
he's got a pedigree there, but you know he himself has done uh, a lot of interesting work, as uh, as Kriti pointed out. But back to Zeus, like I said, you know, I don't know if this is going to succeed. You know, I definitely wish them well, but um, it is definitely a new front that has been opened against the entrenched EHRs. And Nick, you have truly convinced me that the 21st Century Cures Act <laughs> is uh, is real, and and it does pol- provide that policy backing to allow you know the the, the end goal of all this data to be democratized. Now, having said that, when I read all the statements by Jonathan Bush, you know, I did have flashbacks from the uh, HIE Health Information Exchange Age from many, many years ago. Um, you know, HIE was birthed out of the Meaningful Use of ERA, and they had the same mission, but they just could not get the health systems and the EHRs to change. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's different this time, and I really, really hope it is, and I, and I wish them well. Um, I also wonder if, uh, you know, if maybe like Apple would be another player that gets into this. And, and, and Nick, I know you, you, um, you said that this was, that was going to be the last topic, but you know, as, as I hear you and Kariti sort of talk about it and, and the, the really ambitions of uh, the Ironman scale, you know, really like Apple becomes uh, that kind of a company that everyone looks to similar to the other sort of, you know, big ones like Facebook and Amazon and Google. Uh, but well, I just I guess I just have some uh, preconceptions here because when I'm I, I give some lectures about electronic health records and usability and their history and the students always ask me, you know, they love their consumer devices. They maybe have started to get a taste of electronic health records and they're saying, why can't Apple or Google make uh, make this interface? And I got to say, it's like Apple is worth two trillion. Uh, Microsoft is worth uh, around that. Cerner's market cap is around 25 billion. And this is just, EHRs are not this hot growth market that Apple tends to uh, target and, and drool over. It, it is a highly regulated complex quagmire and and there's a lot of incumbents and there's a lot of lock-in and it just doesn't seem like a, a reasonable play for Apple. It would be about as likely as them making new cockpit controls for, for airplanes. Um, what Apple does do and what they are well positioned for, I think, is to collect and display and facilitate the sharing of uh, healthcare data, labs, meds, and, and device data that, that is captured uh, biometrics. So they do this now, and I suspect uh, it will get easier and easier uh, for them. Yeah, and I think with Apple, I'd say I'm ca- I try to say I'm cautiously optimistic, but I say that it could be a limited uh, use case or limited impact because in the end, Apple's core philosophy is built completely around the Apple ecosystem and users of Apple products. Not everyone has an iPhone and an iWatch or an Apple Watch, right? Um, and healthcare is based on the philosophy we need to offer the best care possible regardless of what operating system is on your desk or in your pocket. So I don't know. With Apple, I think they could definitely do things for their ecosystem and their consumers, but it doesn't mean that they're making an incredibly huge dent in the overall healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, no, and, and I and I hear those points, and I think it it makes sense because you know they will have to approach it you know slightly differently, you know, because when you think about it, it, it does complement. Um, like this whole industry can be complemented by the existing form factors. I mean, you've got the phone and the watch, and that's what they want to sort of you know keep sort of pushing, you know, and to give their consumers and sort of a limited set of consumers, understandably, 
but to give them an additional reason to keep using those devices, I think is reason enough for Apple to push into this space. You know, COVID has allowed a lot of people, and I'm of course talking about the fortunate ones who could create a bubble around themselves by moving to a farm with a really good Wi-Fi system or something, but it's allowed those people to start focusing on their health and well-being. And the traditional doctor visits we've talked about before, they're not providing the longitudinal sort of data in their doctor or health system um, that they're, it's not providing that data um, to them, like the traditional health systems are not. So that does give a huge opportunity for Apple to, um, to, to, to exploit here. Because, um, you know, we've, and I'm going to go on tangent number two, Nick, and I apologize for that. But it's, uh, um, but I think there's also a bigger opportunity for a bunch of specialty docs to open up companies where they can really analyze the sensor data coming from the Fitbits and Apple Watches and just really start providing clinical grade feedback to the worried well population. You know, I mean, again, back to the longitudinal part of things. You know, we see our doctors so infrequently, but there's a lot that happens in between. And I don't think we've scratched the surface on that. You know, last year on a podcast, we talked about companies like Under Armour trying to get into the space. But, you know, but they only would focus on the really ultra fit, the Peloton crowd, as I would call it. So I think there is a market for clinical grade feedback that patients are just not getting from their sort of doctors. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I think this is all interesting and probably from an infrastructure standpoint, the big three cloud players have a better chance of disrupting this space because all the data is on their cloud. So recently we had Google roll out the healthcare data engine, harmonizing data across multiple sources. Uh, Microsoft recently uh, announced a portfolio of data services in Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare. And Amazon has the Health Lake in AWS. I mean, all three of those guys Cloud services are at their core. They don't really care what device is in your pocket and they're ingesting all the data from any operating system. I think if there's anyone who's going to potentially make a dent or disrupt this a little bit more, it could be one of those big three. And they also have the deep pockets that if they really wanted to acquire a Cerner, which uh, there were some rumors uh, recently that they were up right for acquisitions, that's possible. They all have deep pockets. Wow. Well, it, Thanks it a lot is, uh, yeah. it's clear that uh, when we've got Karidi on the podcast, uh, the, the thoughts flow freely, the speculation, the speculation goes wild. It has been great to have you and we have to have you back. That, that much is, is certain. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right. We will see you next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. That's it for this week. Join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented in this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.